Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome, everyone. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Would you be willing to do a little make-believe with me just to start out? All right. So imagine that it's a few, maybe tens of thousands of years ago. I know some of you haven't been born yet, but we're, but we're, but we're going to have to use the time machine to go way back to the dawn of civilization. Imagine with me, if you will, my name is Ugg. And although I'm getting on in years, I'm still a valued member of the tribe because I have super good eyesight. And so it's coming up on dusk and they've sent me to the edge of the clearing and I'm kind of hiding behind not a podium but a rock and I'm surveying the field out there. I'm surveying this large clearing and the reason they've sent me out, of course, is in the evening is when a lot of animals are out on their way out to the watering hole and other things as they retire for the evening. And as lookout, my job kind of has two parts. One, of course, every couple days the, the tribe needs to find food. And so what I'm really hoping, just above the peaks of some of the shrubs like a quarter of a mile away, I'm hoping I'm going to see some antelope, just the tips of their horns, because that'll mean we'll go hunting tomorrow. But you know, I'm also looking for something else, and I got to tell you, my heart rate is elevated. There's a fair amount of adrenaline moving through my system right now, because not only is there the excitement at the thought of food, wait, Wait, there. I know that tawny color, that tawny color there, between those rocks right on the horizon, that's not food. And so I'm afraid I have a different message to take back to the tribe tonight. Are you with me on this? Now let's fast forward I don't know what, was that 100,000 years? It was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. But let's fast forward, and today I'm sitting on the 34th floor of the, I don't know, the Interstate Bank Tower in my office, and the phone rings. And suddenly, it's 100,000 years ago, and the same adrenaline is coursing through my system And I feel like, once again, a saber-toothed tiger might be about to bring me down. It is so weird the way our our humanness works. Uh, I I mean, 100,000 years ago, what a good thing to have that adrenaline coursing through my body. What a good thing, even though I'm hiding behind a rock, to have that sense of fight or flight, that, that necessity either to run back and warn people, or, or perhaps it was going to be the hunting party the next day where we, with nothing more than our bare hands and maybe a spear and rocks, 
might need to bring down what we're going to eat for the next week, right? How important that that level of, of cortisol is pouring through my system. How important that I can do what needs to be done, whether it is running literally for my life to, to warn my friends and family or to do what's necessary uh, in terms of gathering and hunting. How wonderful, how truly wonderful anxiety is. Right? Right? But the trouble is our brain hasn't actually changed a whole lot in the last 100,000 years. And so the same thing, that, that glimpse of, uh, of tawniness in the background that might signal something that's a threat to us, unfortunately, I've transferred that onto the telephone ringing. I've, I've transferred that onto whether I get the, a promotion or not. I've transferred that onto whether or not the airport security is, uh, is making me wear certain kinds of masks on the plane or not. I've, I've translated that into fears of all kinds of things that are not probably actually going to cause me any true harm. And I don't need to bring down the big game anymore, right? I just need to walk to the refrigerator, right? Or, or, or call for Uber Eats, right? And they'll deliver it. I, I mean, for the most part, for the extreme most part, my life is safe and secure and well-provisioned. There aren't people at the door wanting to bring me down, and yet, and yet sometimes I feel that way. Well, we're using an amazing book this month, and I certainly recommend it. It's a short read and a good one. It's called Zen in the Age of Anxiety. Uh, it's by uh, Tim Burkett. Um, one of those lovely bestsellers that we pick up now and then here. And we're going to talk through this idea of, first of all, uh, you know, anxiety is not a bad thing when it actually causes us, uh, motivates us to do something that's positive and healthy and, uh, and that does provide us either greater safety or greater nourishment or whatever, right? So, so we don't want to get rid of anxiety, but I sure want to disconnect it from the everyday activities that don't really represent harm to me. Because what all the studies have shown is when your heart rate is elevated for weeks at a time, when you're anxious day in and day out and worried, this shortens our lives dramatically. It causes all kinds of medical, emotional, and, uh, and, and physical issues in our bodies and our minds and our spirits. We don't want to be that person. We don't want to be ugh anymore. Uh, look, you know, scanning the horizon for, for the millions of things that could go wrong. And so this week we're going we're gonna to talk about some of those, uh, those issues. And more importantly, we're going to try to talk about how to navigate through them successfully successfully to bring uh, truly pleasure back into our lives, to feel safe, even, uh, even in these awkward circumstances that we're going through right now. Uh, we're going to learn how to feel safe. We're going to learn how to feel secure. We're going to learn how to open our hearts, because that's the other thing. Believe me, when you are on the edge of your seat, your heart is not open. When that anxiety is flooding through you, you are not able to take on the pleasures of the world, the joys of the world, and the love of the world. Well, first off, I want to talk about a couple biggies when it comes to anxiety. And uh, I think it's time for a Dalai Lama story. 
So uh, when the Dalai Lama was first exiled out of Tibet, uh, they honestly had to do quite a bit of fundraising tours to, to, to keep his uh, mission and, and story moving in the world. And they weren't really sure what was going to happen. And in the beginning, of course, people were like, well, who is this guy again? And so the crowds were, were pretty small. Uh, and, uh, and the story goes, one of his first tours of the United States, they were in an auditorium with only about 300 people. And back then, you could actually like ask the Dalai Lama questions yourself, right? He wasn't famous enough. Uh, and, and there was an interpreter there because he spoke very little English, of course, in those days. And so the story goes, one of his first tours, uh, they were uh, talking about trouble in the world. And, uh, and it was during the Vietnam era, if I remember right. And, uh, and people were talking about trouble in the world and war. And of course, he did a, a very eloquent and beautiful speech around uh, world peace. And, and what we could do, that peace uh, begins inwardly and things like that. And then he opened it up to questions. And one young man uh, in the front said, I, I just don't think that I'm up to doing anything around this idea of peace. I just don't think that I'm strong enough. I don't think that I have the wherewithal or the intelligence to meaningfully do anything about this. And so the translator translated it into Tibetan, or I, I, I'm showing my ignorance. Do they speak Tibetan in Tibet? Probably. Uh, <laughs> I really am ignorant. I just realized that. <laughs> Don't you hate that? <laughs> anyway, the translator translated, and the Dalai Lama kind of scratches his head and asks the translator a couple more questions, and the translator tries again. And the translator stood up and said, I'm having some trouble talking to the, uh, the Dalai Lama about this notion of unworthiness, of not being smart enough or good enough. He doesn't really understand that. Uh, can, can you guys help me? And so there were some more suggestions and more translating, and the Dalai Lama is still not understanding it. And the translator then, uh, after discussing with the Dalai Lama some more, the translator says, uh, you're going to laugh, but the Dalai Lama thinks that maybe there's a mental illness involved here, that he's never, he's never really heard of anyone who didn't love and appreciate themselves. And so the Dalai Lama and the translator talked a little more, and the translator says, I've been asked if everyone in the room who doesn't love and appreciate themselves wholeheartedly would please raise their hand. And about a third of the audience raised their hand. The Dalai Lama didn't believe that the translation was working right, because he could not conceive of that many people in one place who didn't believe in themselves. And he concluded his talk that day by saying, how does anything get done if you don't believe in yourself? Now, of course, you know, all of his life, he perhaps had been sheltered a bit as the Dalai Lama in training, so to speak, as a young boy. It may be that he didn't get out into the, the villages to learn what a, maybe a harsher way of life had been outside of the monastery where he was raised. But still, I think it's interesting that he found it hard to imagine people who didn't love themselves, who didn't trust themselves, who didn't believe that their abilities were sufficient to do what's necessary in the world. And that, believe it or not, is one of the primary causes of modern anxiety. The thought that you are not up to the task 
of living in this world, that you're not smart enough to make a difference, that you're not lovable enough to find a partner, that you're not capable enough to get a good job and hold on to it. Can you see the source of anxiety here? It's like never feeling like you fit in, never feeling that you're good enough not feeling that the good life is for you. Well, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because I do know that about a third of us, if we were being truthful, probably would have to raise our hands, that there are some doubts about our own self-worth. First of all, know with me that that is a huge source of anxiety in your life. And so that's one of the things we're going to really be focusing on this month. The other one is interesting. The other one, I I can't credit the Dalai Lama with having to say anything about it, but I will say that it's foremost on Ernest Holmes' mind, the teacher of the science of mind, the founder of what we believe. And he summed it up by stating this, principle is not bound by precedent. And by that, he meant that our past is not always a very good predictor of what we can expect in the future. The principle of love, the principle of joy, the principle of peace, the principle of happiness, those things are not to be controlled by what has happened in our past. And, and of course, uh, he, he made that statement long before some of the interesting advancements in brain science. So back to the laboratory again for just a minute here. They've done a number of studies that are kind of disturbing around the way our brain works. Not only does that telephone ringing bring us back 100,000 years to the place where we're suddenly ugh in the jungle, wondering if the boss is going to kill us or something crazy like that, but they've also discovered that part of that same mechanism for keeping us safe allows us to access negative memories six times easier than positive ones. So let's say, let's just imagine you're a young child and and you're remembering a string of birthdays that you had. And five of them were fabulous and one was a real stinker. Remember the stinker? Of course you remember the stinker because you're six times more likely to remember the birthday that went horribly wrong than you are the five in a row that were joyous and happy. It's the way our brain works. And so worry is primarily a function of believing that things in the future are going to play out the way all of our memories of negative situations played out. Well, first of all, it's not even true, right? We're ignoring the five times when everything went well, and we're imagining that the future is going to be like, what, the one time when something went horribly wrong, So that's why when the phone rings, we imagine the boss is there not to tell us we got a raise, (laughs) right? But to tell us that we got fired. Because remembering from 10 years ago when the phone rang and the boss didn't even have a courtesy to bring us into the office and we just got fired over the phone. And we remember that instead of the 3,500 times when the phone rang, it was something beautiful and wonderful and joyous and happy. And I'm telling you, it's just being human. Let's switch gears now, because I want to start out with the happy news here. 
Awareness is curative. Awareness is curative. The mere fact that you're going to go home and remember these two things that were hardwired for anxiety and that we're apt to think the future is going to look like some of the negative things that happened in our past when it isn't true, that alone is going to help to cure you of anxiety. Next time you're worried about the future, remind yourself you are in the business of predicting catastrophes. It's the way your brain works, and it's not true. It is simply not true. You can calm yourself down just by saying, wait a minute, what if the phone ringing is Ed McMahon telling me I finally won that darn sweepstakes? Right? What if it all goes right? Why am I, why am I worried negatively about the future? I remember what Reverend Larry said. I'm not even remembering 90% of all the goodness that has happened in my life, and I'm fixated that what's going to happen is going to follow the pattern of the one thing that went wrong. So first of all, you know, some of the advice that I got from my mom when I was a kid was dead on. When I would get worked up into just the, an outrageous fit of worry or trouble or despair, she would just say, okay, all right, just sit for a minute, right? And honestly, it's probably some of the best advice that I can give you. Just sit for a minute and breathe. Recognize that this anxiety, it is something that probably is unavoidable because it's just flooding your system based on that, that 100,000-year-old flight or fight mechanism. So just allow in your humanness to just sit and go, oh my gosh, that's what's happening. The adrenaline is running through me. Now the good news is I know it'll be done in about a minute if I, if I just sit and focus on my breathing and recognize the reality of it could be the best thing in the world that's happening to me. I'm, I'm catastrophizing here. As soon as I, as soon as I have that awareness, as soon as I breathe into the feelings, rather than bringing up resistance and trying to fight it or trying to figure it out, right? Suddenly you're breathing. You're almost ready just to laugh at our humanness. So that's the first lesson that we're going to learn today is to just laugh at our humanness. Just to be okay with uncomfortability. It's no longer going to be the saber-toothed tiger tracking you down, right? The worst thing it might do is be some social faux pas that you've made, which you can sort out by talking to people, right? And, and it's just those ancient mechanisms in our brain that are making it seem difficult. So we just breathe. We breathe into it. I'm no longer in that situation from the past. I'm right where I am right now. All is safe. In this present moment, there is love. There is safety. There is joy to be had. I'll just breathe through that troubling feeling. I'll allow those thoughts to just pass through me because I know they're not predictive. I know that that's just the stacked deck of my own brain from what happened a long time ago.
So I think it's time to talk about a little bit of homework here. Oh, wait a minute. I completely skipped our joke. And I would hear about that later if I don't get the joke out. All right. Now talk about old jokes. This one was printed in the London Daily Journal, July 2nd, 1904. Almost a joke old enough for Ugg. So a young woman from the city went to visit her country cousins on the farm. To the farmer, she expressed some considerable anxiety. She did not like the murderous way in which the bull out in the field was regarding her. Well, it must be on account of that red blouse you've got on, answered the farmer. Oh, dear me, said the girl. Well, of course, I should have known it's out of fashion, but I I had no idea that such a country cow would take offense. (laughs) And so so it really is, you know, anxiety is, is really just made up in our mind. How do I imagine that I'm doing something wrong? How do I imagine that life is going to take a bad turn? And so because it's in our mind, because those initial thoughts of flight or fight are something that that really just occur up in here, it's up in here where we can make the difference. It's in our own minds, in our own hearts, where we can learn to accept something that is better. Allow the biochemical soup in our bodies to process through. That's unavoidable. But what we do about it is completely within our purview. We can simply sit and allow it to pass and recognize that the future is what we make of it. It's not predicted on the past. So the homework this week is right out of the book, and I want to read you a little something, and then uh, we'll allow uh, Tim Burkett to assign the homework here. He says, the point of this chapter has been to demystify our emotional reactivity so that we can live with greater buoyancy and skillfulness, even during emotional upsets. The following exercises are designed to help you see your emotional patterns and to practice staying with them without acting upon them in negative ways. And so, uh, so here's the homework assignment. For this next week, notice what category of thoughts and or behaviors you engage in when you're afraid or anxious. So next time you find yourself afraid or anxious, next time you're worried about something, next time your brain is kind of whirring a little bit out of control, uh, self-doubt, anxiousness, what the assignment is... After identifying your predominant pattern, pause, breathe deeply. Here's mom's advice again, right? Just sit down, pause, breathe deeply for two or three minutes and contemplate this desire to fight, flee, or freeze. So all you're going to do next time you feel anxious, next time you're worried, uh, next time something seems like it's about to go wrong, You're going to sit, you're going to take stock, you're going to notice your feelings, and you're going to contemplate this idea of the desire to fight, flee, or freeze. So this week it's just observation. just want you to notice what's coming up for you. Just be in that place of it being okay to be a little uncomfortable. You know you're going to be safe. You know that worry is not going to create some kind of a malady. Just allow the feeling to pass through you.
Well, I want to close with something right out of the book today. And uh, this is something that I can use a little bit of help. So, So the tradition is Zen Buddhism out of this book. And there's a Tibetan blessing that I think is going to sound familiar to you. I know some of the new thought artists have made this into a song. Uh, We're just going to recite it, though, as a bit of a poem. So I'll read a line to prompt you, and then you repeat it back to me, all right? May you be filled with loving kindness. May you be well. May you be peaceful and at ease. And may you be happy. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. And may I be happy. We are filled with loving kindness. We are well. We are peaceful and at ease. We are happy. And so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. Such a pleasure to have you on Sunday. Now is our time of conscious contribution. I invite you to take your gift or your tithe, whatever it is you brought to share with us today. I know those of you online may be going to your workstation to make a donation at cslportland.org donate. If you'd like, you can repeat after me, graciously I give, graciously I give. from a place of love, knowing that as I give, so do I graciously receive. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.